space, the nerdiest frontier. This is the content warning of the USS Word Balloons. Our continuing mission to solve every nerdy question and talk about penises more than you really think we probably should. Just your fair warning, as again, the aforementioned penises, plus we will swear, and who even knows, the questions have taken me in research directions I never expected. You have been warned. Hi everybody, I'm Tyler. And I'm Zach. We're Aeronauts and we're back with more Word Balloons. We've made it. Hey! We're at Utopia Planitia. It's very pretty. Is it? I've never... It, it, I mean, it's a bunch of scaffolding and chips being made. I mean, I like Star Trek I mean we're ships. there. It is very Yay! pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Look looking at that. at the wrong window. I think I was looking at the wall. I was waiting for the window to open. Turns out there's not one there. When did we get end up in a starship? We've just been talking about starships. I'm not worried about it. We're, an air balloon shouldn't have a window. Anyway. An air balloon shouldn't have a pool, but we determined we had one of those a while back. That's true, and I do love our pool. I'm also surprised it has turbo. <laughs> Lifts that I have to grease, but it's still here. Look, man, we set the traps. I don't know what to do anymore. I mean, thank you for the traps. It is what I'm <laughs> what I am feeding on, by the way. Editor and so is Steven here. Yeah, I guess he's here. In Star Trek Discovery, they finally showed what the outside of the turbo lifts look like, and it's not just like an elevator with an elevator because it's since it can go like anywhere in the mm. ship, it has to be much more open, and it is terrifying. It is pretty much just like launching those little elevator pods through magnets at each other, and like. Whoop, go in different direction now. <laughs> like they've got a whole fight scene of kicking people out of it and watching them go. Ah. Wow. But I'm also like, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense in like a use of space argument, but also it was a pretty cool fight scene. I guess I just always assumed it was kind of like the Great Glass Elevator. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway. I, yeah, I just assumed it was just like. Did you just make a fucking Willy Wonka reference. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love Rudolph? That just took me a moment, is so. all. <laughs> I always assumed it was more just, like, really tight-ass fitting chambers that they had, like, some sort of, like, really fit magnet thing. Mm. Just for, like... I would probably use the Jeffrey's tubes space. most of the time. Just... Actually, no, that's a lie. I don't have a very good back anymore. But, like, they have free healthcare, so it's at least possible. True. <laughs> anyway, uh, normally right now we would answer a question to start things off, but since we're at the end of our journey... Don't got no questions. We don't got no questions. What we do have is things for you to make up before we can actually dock. Ooh, actually, we did sort of have a question we were going to talk about that I'm going to be real fucking fast with. Oh, yeah. Because uh, the one question we did not answer, because it's not that interesting, and the research is really boring, is who would win in a fight, the Federation or the Empire? Oh, shit. I was actually going to do some research because there is enough technological gobbledygook thrown back and forth that people have figured out the, the, the differences in technology. Of arguments yeah. on it. And anyone who has one opinion on it laughs at the other one laughs that they think the other one could lose basically long story short both sides argue that the shields of the other suck so we're just gonna put those as even mm -hmm. just whatever even starfleet weapons are way stronger and way more distance hyperdrive versus warp drive nah it's hard to say just because they're completely different ways so it doesn't really one you teleport through another dimension and the other you're just flying 10 to 100 times the speed of light. Like, it's just... Both better than going through the warp. Wait, what the yes. fuck? Warp 1 is 10 times the speed of light. No, no, what's the one that uh, teleports you through a... Hyperdrive is they're not actually... They, they enter into hyperspace, which is a neighboring dimension, basically. And that's what the white-blue thing is when you see them traveling in uh, Star Wars. Okay, I definitely never understood that. I definitely thought it was more of like a... 
Einstein-Rosenbridge type situation where they're bending space and that you're seeing them warp through it at a high speed. At least this is what the internet Reddit vibes were saying. But I don't know. I have no astrophysics uh, or any actual knowledge on any of it. So Star Wars ships, as I said, weapons are way less powerful. But at the end of the day, one, they real big in comparison. And then two, it's really just a matter of scale. The entire Federation has like... 100 to 200 planets as its members. That's not small, but, you know, their fleets are... They have comparable. A few hundred ships. Yeah. And they're not big ships. Maybe a thousand ships. Yeah, their biggest ship is about 800 meters, give or take. I'm going with the, like, next-gen era Starfleet mm-hmm. for this. Kirk's era Starfleet would just get punched into the ground. <laughs> the Empire has thousands and thousands of planets, to the point that when one gets overthrown, it sometimes takes them a couple decades to get back to taking it back... Well, I mean, they just didn't because they didn't last longer than like right. 50 years. But still, they lost one of the planets from Rebels, and they just never bothered to take it back because it wasn't worth the amount of work that it would have taken. They have thousands and thousands of Imperial Star Destroyers, let alone all the other kind of fucking ships. So the Federation might pick them apart, but just through sheer war of attrition, there's just no... Like, a single battle, Federation probably has it. Prolonged war, they just don't have the manpower yeah, to they survive get, that. They get drowned in their blood. Yeah, literally. Like, well, we're just going to start shooting Star Destroyers at you. Whatever. Hold on maneuvers for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, yeah. That, let's, let's warm up the freaking Death Star real quick. Yeah, and I'm not even taking into, like, the Emperor's absolute fucking hard-on for ex- uh, planet exploders in this equation. What was it? Was it the Sun Crusher? Sun Crusher, the Tarkin, the Death Star, the Death Star 2. Isn't like a lot of Starfleet's general fleet like big enough that it can be parked on planets? Most of their ships can land on planets, not all of them, but like, you know, Voyager's only like three or four hundred meters long. The Enterprise D, which is one of the biggest, is like 650 meters long. Your standard Star Destroyer, the basic ship, is 1600 meters long. Like, just... We're not even getting into the Superstar Destroyers. Which, yes, which is like ten times that. I don't even know off the top of my head. Giant, giant. Big old boy. Yeah, definitely gonna have to, unfortunately, give it to the Empire. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a good thing. Like, if it's who wins Federation or Starfleet, like, where do I want to live? It's absolutely fucking Starfleet. Like, oh, that uh, is... Oh, yeah, definitely yeah. want to be in Starfleet. Well, I don't actually know if I want to be in Starfleet. Cause well, in the have... Federation. Or even yeah. in the Federation. Like, I would, like, I'd be down to be, like, part of the Federation, but I don't know if I would want to be... Well, I mean, that's what I mean by in the Federation. Uh, not necessarily working for Starfleet. I would, but fair enough. I understand. But just on a Federation planet. Yeah. Here's replicators. You don't have to worry about going hungry. Medicine's free. We live in a post-scarcity economy. I was about to say, it would be pretty dope to be post-scarcity. Yeah, that would be nice. It would also be nice, though, like, if, like, for some reason our moon was going to explode, like, that could just be, like, taken care of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, you can just go live on the moon. Oh, yeah. That'd be fucking it's Super colonized. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's whalers on the moon. <laughs> moon. Yeah, but okay, that's all I had. That's uh, just... Plus the holodeck. Holodeck's freaking great. Although it does tend to go mad and try to kill you disturbingly Just don't try to create Clippy. I was going to say, have you gotten to the Badgie episode yet of Lower Decks? Not yet. I'm very early into Lower Decks. I'm not giving anything away other... I mean, it's Star Trek, it's a holodeck. Every one of them has a... a, The holodeck is trying to kill us. Now you have to make up for things. Sorry. (laughs) That was... No, that's fine. I don't... 
I don't mind. I like talking about this. Works for me. But you did screw up things throughout the season. Oh yeah. Oh, this was a rough season for Dude, this was I think this was a rough season across the board. It was so hard choosing ships. I did not think it was gonna be this rough going into it. Yeah, we got this. It's great. Oh fuck. It's also hard to know how much you need to cover and like what because some of these have a fuck ton of lore to them. And some of them never appeared on screen. So like there's a Give you a heavy look there, Tyler. Yeah, I'm not sure what I was reading half the time. <laughs> and especially, like, there are so many ships that have the same name across two, sometimes three franchises. Looking at you, Daedalus. I think it was the Discovery that I was like, fuck you, there's a Discovery in Stargate, Star Trek, and Star Wars. God, I wouldn't have gotten... I don't know what is in the Star Wars one. Doesn't matter. That wasn't one of my questions. So, what are we doing? Half for Chimera was the first Half one? Half for Chimera. The Chimera is Darth Vader's flagship before he gets the Executor, which is the Superstar Destroyer. I got... I got the basics right, but I was missing... The things that make it special. Because it's kind of special. Enough that we're, that we're looking for... No, the, the Chimera is uh, Thrawn's thing, not Vader's oh, okay. thing. The Devastator yeah. is... Vader's thing, and that comes up later that yep. I also... I don't know if I got You got part. the Devastator. Cool. I've been reading about the wrong fucking ship in my <laughs> redemption thing. So I was like, the fucking landing bay is slightly different? Why do I care about this? Like you wouldn't be uh, reading about the Devastator anyway. I mean, fair. It is unique that it has a stylized depiction of a fucking chimera engraved on the side of the hull, which is pretty cool. The TIE Defenders were based out of it, which those are fucking amazing. It's destroyed by the Pergil. Or it's forcibly pulled into hyperspace by the Pergil, who are hyperspace-capable space whales. Rebels is really good, you guys. Um, okay. I don't know what are. I was looking for for notable differences, but unless you just found something. Another difference was the Chimera's eight turbo lasers surrounding its command tower. It, it was heavier armed, and it had slightly different hangar bays than what it was usually used. Yeah, I guess that's about it. It's it's a fancy... It's fancy-dancy. Oh, it's got those spinners on the rims. <laughs> it's got a real souped-up spoiler. I mean, considering how heavily armed Star Destroyers normally are, pointing out that it's even more heavily armed, I think that's pretty notable. Well, it's Grand Admiral Thrawn's, too, so he was like, wow, my bridge is really, really exposed the way this is set up, because it's just, like, up there. Um, let's put some more guns around it. In a fucking bitchin' chimera. Like the side of a van. But a Star Destroyer. Oh, man, I... They need to do that big-ass mural on the side of the Star Literally Star. the only thing that's missing from the Millennium Falcon is fucking, like, cool A wizard. And a wizard, yeah. Or just some sort of fucking art. Yeah, exactly. Like... Anything. I hit, feel hit like striping. a lot of sci-fi franchises are missing out on the art designs on ships. Cowboy Bebop is one of the only ones that really bothered with it, and it matters. I feel like you see it a little bit more in anime. Mm -hmm. But that might be just from a design aesthetic, it's a little bit easier, maybe? Rebels did it a little bit. They had a TIE fighter that they stole and let Sabine redesign, so it's all sorts okay. of like bright colors and stuff. But other than that, eh. You see it a little bit in the Gal uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, kind of, with a a little little their bit. designs a little bit more colorful. Yeah, their main ship is very colorful. I guess I... I'm just waiting for it to see a ship that's done up like kind of like a lowrider, I guess. Cowboy Bebop is about it. Yeah, I I know what you mean, but I haven't can't can't even think of anything close. 
Because that would exist, just like lowrider culture art anyway. But you got the Devastator, you got the Botany Bay, you got the Defiant. You wanted a half redemption for the Daedalus. So the Daedalus, just because I had like no technical stuff for this one, the Daedalus is the second ship created by the Tauri, aka humans, in Stargate SG-1. Its length is 225 meters, its width is 95 meters. It is powered by Naquita, which is their magic spice must flow in that universe. They use, mostly use it to make bombs because Stargate is very American industrial military complex. As much as I like the show, it is the sister ship of the Prometheus and it is basically the same thing except slightly better because a lot of the upgrades were built in when they made it as opposed to like, what if we put some fucking, fucking great lasers on the side of this? Or like, what if we put the lasers inside of this? Other than that, nothing too fancy on it. How about we bolted it instead of using duct tape? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And then we had full-on redemptions for the Bonaventure. The Bonaventure was, at first when I was reading this, was a dick move, but not nearly as bad as some of your other choices, so good job, you two. I will say less of a dick move because I was thinking of a different ship, but it was still interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, the Bonaventure, according to the animated series that it first appeared in, was the first ship to have warp drive installed. It is designed to look like a precursor to the Constitution class, which is the class that the Kirk's Enterprise was. It is designed, to, it's supposed to be a couple of generations old, probably, and extremely heavily armed, and designed to mostly look like it would still fit into the modern Starfleet design. None of that holds up to any of the rest of canon that they develop over time. The first ship to get uh, warp drive installed is the Phoenix, which is how they met the Vulcans, yada yada, mm -hmm. not important to this. Uh, there are several Starfleet ships that would have taken place before the Bonaventure, let alone Earth Starfleet ships, which is before the Federation was formed. But they did name an earlier ship the Bonaventure in kind of honor of this ship, being like, well, we're going to ignore this canon, but we'll acknowledge it because nerds. Mm -hmm. The important thing is it gets lost in the Delta Triangle, which is basically the Bermuda Triangle, but in space! And it is sent through a time warp where it, it gets trapped in Elysia. Quote, a small alternate universe, a parallel time continuum, that periodically touched the prime universe in the Delta Triangle region. So basically, it got sent into, like, a pocket bubble universe where centuries pass. And the, the Enterprise ends up encountering the Bonaventure and, like, its descendants later on. Okay. It's kind of a cool-looking ship. It's very Starfleet, the animated series, or Star Trek, the animated series, so it's much more cartoony than you're used to seeing. Mm -hmm. It's got a weirdly tiny saucer section. It looks, like, disfigured because of it. Yeah. Uh, let's see, there was also redemption on the Ares. So the Ares was actually tough because it turns out there's two different things called the Ares. One spelled A-R-I-E-S and one spelled A-R-E-S. Oh. <laughs> so Ares and Ares, both are correct, but... The, the Ares, like God of War, Ares, A-R-E-S, is actually, and this is part of the reason I got confused, from a fan show called uh, Star Trek Prelude to Axanar, which, interestingly, to bring in Battlestar Galactica, is the final thing Richard Hatch acted in. Oh, interesting. He was great in it. Uh, Prelude to Axanar is weird because there was this period of time where they were not making Star Trek shows. And so the fan community were like, make your own fucking Star Trek then. And Star Trek, the CBS was pretty open about it until they started making their own shows. And Axanar raised hundreds of thousands of dollars on Kickstarter. Like, mad fucking money to do this. And they were like, whoa, whoa, okay. It's one thing that you're making, you know, shit in your garage and releasing it. Cool, have fun with that. But like... 
you're making a lot of money off of our franchise at this point. We do need to protect the copyright. Also, you set Axnar in the same period of time that we're doing Discovery. Ooh. And we're just about to announce Discovery, so you have to stop. And unfortunately, the guy who runs Axnar, who, I mean, I liked Prelude, but he was just such a giant dick about it. They got in a protracted legal battle where his thing was like, well, you never complained before. They're like, yeah, but we are now. So that actually, when it comes to protecting IP, is a thing. Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of Star Wars fan stuff doesn't get taken down, is because for so long, they didn't challenge it at all. Now, this uh, that said, CBS was a little more careful of like, we're going to let you get away with some of this, but we're not going to let you get away with mm -hmm. everything. And this is the one where like, we're... We're drawing the line. We are making much more official rules. You don't get to make a full ongoing fucking movie with our license. Like, mm -hmm. this is this is scaled up too far. But what if it's a porn parody? Well, then parody. Oh. There's its own rules and yada, yada, yada. Got it, got it in the... Got it one. There it is. <laughs> um, but in that version, the Ares is the precursor to the Constitution class. Mm -hmm. It's cool. Honestly, if you've got 45 minutes to kill, Prelude to Axanar is a fun, like in-universe Star Trek documentary about the human Klingon war. But he was like, this is so much better than Discovery. Now watch Discovery. And I'm like, it's not, buddy. I appreciate what you were trying for, but it's not. It's not. <laughs> but the Ares from Star Trek is the Renaissance class NCC 45167. It is never seen in person, but is mentioned about 30 times across the next generation. First in an episode in season two, and it's one of the better episodes of season two, which is a pretty good season, where Riker is offered command of his own starship, and his dad shows up to offer it to him, because his dad is some Starfleet guy. And he ends up getting into a goofy martial arts ambo-jitsu fight with his dad, while deciding whether he's going to take it. It's both basically both of them wearing plastic and then like covering their faces and hitting each other with big foam space American gladiators. I was about to it's say absolutely. I was about to say American it's that gladiators. it's the episode that happened because American gladiators was huge at the time. I didn't know that's why, but I'm not surprised at all. I mean, that's just my guess because uh, I'm thinking about the years that th they would have dropped, like late '80s. So I don't know when American gladiators was out, but yeah. You, you watch Lower Decks, there will be a scene where they do Ambo Jitsu, and you'll be like, the fuck is this? And then imagine Jonathan <laughs> Frakes doing it in live action. I've seen it. I know how bad the costuming is. <laughs> it looks like a, it looks like they took sports equipment and then tried to basically make I mean, it look at, like it was samurai garb. That's 100% what they did. They um, gave it a little bit of Tron, too. I was about to say Tron, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the Ambo Jitsu, some super advanced martial art. And then we find out that his dad's been cheating against Riker for years so he would keep playing. I'm like, how is this the, like, good luck lesson that makes you guys get back together as friends again? Mm -hmm. Your dad fucking has been cheating for 20 years and that's what makes you be like, yeah, buddy, I get you. But where it became interesting is... Okay, so there's a guy named Mike Okuda who was one of the heavy involved people behind the scenes of setting up a lot of the, like... A, a lot of the, the scenery stuff for Star Trek. And one of those was... They were dubbed Okuda-grams, but anytime you see a screen 
on Star Trek Next Generation, Okuda was probably the one that designed it, and they just they don't just use the same screen again and again and again and again. So if you look, and you have to be an absolute maniac to look this shit up, he has reports of what different starships are doing, like where they're assigned on these screens. They're called Okudagrams mm -hmm. in the Star Trek fan community. And the Pegasus is mentioned in like half of the fucking Okudagrams. So they're like, oh, the Pegasus is going to Mars right now. The Pegasus is on assignment in the near the neutral zone. Not the Pegasus, the, the Ares. Ares. The Pegasus is a completely different ship. <laughs> I, it also comes up a lot. I was very confused. Like, sorry, sorry. I, my Pegasus brain is just now. like, what bizarre Starfleet ship am I talking about this time? I mean, the Pegasus does come up too, but the Ares. Awesome. Uh, the one that I knew you weren't going to get, but we said we were going to throw in something from the IP, the Blackbird. So the Blackbird is a prototype colonial stealth fighter on the Battlestar Galactica. Basically, they kept losing Vipers, which is like their... It's basically their X-Wing. I'm sure there's mm -hmm. all sorts of reasons of why they don't really compare, but I mean, it's even got oh, the yeah. red-white color scheme. It just it does not compare. Where the... The Vipers remind me a lot more of something out of, like, The Last Starfighter. But for the sake of this, of, like... Mm -hmm. It feels very, like, single single pilot, like, like uh, jet engine. Yeah, let's put a jet in space. Yeah, it's basically just, like... Yeah. Our, like so, as I said, it, it, for the sake of simplicity, it's a dogfighter. Mm -hmm. Like the X-Wing or the TIE or whatever. It's also my favorite part of Battlestar Galactica. I just think the, the Vipers, Vipers look cool. I like how and they fly. Because Battlestar makes them fly in an actual vacuum. So they'll just, like, cut power and use their, like, thrusters to just completely spin 180s while continuing their same direction and stuff. Oh, dope. I gotta watch more Battlestar Galactica. I've seen yes. bits and pieces um, The problem with series. it is it's not really a show that you can miss episodes on. No. Yes. <laughs> so the way I used to watch TV, which was just when I was at my mom's house on the weekends, I never knew what... I was always like, I think this is interesting. Uh, anyways, it is a stealth fighter designed by Galen Tyrol. Don't know who that is, but he designed it. It is designed to be able to be able to launch out of the Viper launch tubes, dubbed the Laura in honor of President Laura Roslin, and blah, blah, blah. Bunch of people are able to pilot it. Colonel Teague originally denounces the project as frivolous, but later provides assistance in procuring yada, yada, yada engines. And it is somehow able to be used to bring an end to the standoff between the Galactica and the Pegasus, with the Pegasus being another Battlestar. Yeah, ship. they run into another Battlestar. Also, the Pegasus from Battlestar was why I didn't use the Pegasus from Star Trek. It can fly through walls. <laughs> uh, and it eventually gets destroyed. The Laura. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean... It's a stealth ship from Battlestar Galactica. The... I would say its biggest claim to fame with all of it is it ends up... Uh, Starbuck takes it on a hijacks it and steals it for a non like signed off on mission that confirms the existence of the resurrection ships. Oh, okay. See, the problem of researching this when I have no like yeah. basis of the of the world and I'm like, I don't know what parts of this are important. Yeah. No, it's the it's the awesome mm -hmm. stealth fighter that exists for like two seasons before it gets off, I wanna say. Oh, fair. Kind of sounds like the Voyager's Delta Flyer, which was their, like, souped-up uh, shuttle. And, like, the, the episode where it gets built is really good, because there's all this tension with the crew, because, like, is this a worthwhile project when, once again, like, the whole setup is humanity's down to 40,000 people, and they're constantly on the run. Yeah, we have so little resources. Yeah, we can't even stop at planets to do things. How do we make this work and fucking survive? So there's a lot of, like 
can we devote these resources and like is this a good use of people's time and then it sort of shows like the crew coming together because of it and, and then we'll sneak in a bunch of weird mormonism stuff that's more the original series okay um the original creator uh, Battlestar was a mormon but in the in the reboot series the 2004 series both of those guys uh, approached it from an intensely humanitarian viewpoint i'm not even necessarily knocking it for being mormon it's just funny to me the number of mormon references they've hidden in Battlestar galactica and this enlightens me to some bits that they do in the office with dwight and mm -hmm. him loving it now yeah, the the 2004 series mixes a lot of the original Mormon stuff with actually, like, Greek analogs and also plays it next to the Zodiac in a lot of ways. Interesting. And they in very intentionally, like, approached it from an intensely humanitarian viewpoint that just didn't... that went out of their way not to say that religion couldn't be real in some ways. Mm-hmm. Tangential question... But do you recommend the uh, original series as well? No, not really. <laughs> it's That one is very Mormon, and it is also just really kind of cheesy and... Like, it's a pretty important piece of, like, modern science fiction, uh, like, history. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's good. It kind of in some places existed of like, all right, we know Star Trek can work. We know Star Wars is super popular. Can we kind of in some ways sort of blend the two to make a, a show that can cash in on some of that? The answer is not really because it didn't last very long. And then the the sequel series, Battles, uh, Galactica 1981, I don't think lasted a full season. Right. I don't think it did either. Richard Hatch is kind of fun. Like, yeah. You know? No, I was going to say, and like the, the original series, there's some fun bits because like Richard Hatch is great, but he's equally as great in the 04 series when they bring him back. Oh yeah, that's right. They do bring Not him back. Not as the same character, well, but yeah. as an amazing villain, really. It's not not worth watching it's just not necessarily like i was just curious if it was like a, oh it's it still holds up kind of recommendation it never held up is kind of the thing that yeah. i would say like so it hasn't gotten worse i've never i've never uh, i guess that's the thing it's never gotten worse it's just was never great to begin with okay 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 i've just never encountered it just go watch farscape instead if we're being 100 percent honest <laughs> anyway i just i love excuses to talk about Battlestar 2. Yeah, that's fair. I love that series. That's what this whole season is, basically. Excuses to talk about dumb sci-fi series. Uh, and then uh, The Invisible Hand. The Invisible Hand is General Grievous's flagship, which means it is the main battleship of the fleet of the Confederacy of Independent Systems from the prequel trilogy. It appears several times in the Clone Wars and is most notably crashed by Anakin Skywalker into Coruscant, probably killing an unknown number of people when you think about that, because it hits a lot of skyscrapers. Yeah. And like, it would have been worse to just let it free fall, but, but when you think about that scene... It's not great. It is a, now that I've made this super depressing, it is a Providence-class dreadnought created by Freedak Volunteers Engineering Corps, which is uh, the Quarren, mm. mostly. I, you definitely didn't just say corn. Quarren. Quarren, thank you. Q-U-A-R-R-E-N. They are the squid people. Yeah. There's the... Oh, yeah. Oh, those are cool. With the kind of squid tentacle yeah. face things. Mm -hmm. the, yeah, we yeah. talked about them in an earlier episode. Different no, squid diff people. Yeah, different squid people. Okay, then I don't know these it, ones. They, they appear in Jabba's palace. It's not that important. But they live on the same planet as the Mon Calamari, and they're kind of dicks. Yeah. 
There's like a tenuous alliance there. They aren't actively at war anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Where it's at. But anytime the Quorn are like, we could take over the planet, let's do that. And then it doesn't go out well. It is 1,088 meters long, 198 meters wide. Uh, Let's see. Got so many guns. It can carry 20 squadrons of droid starfighters, 440 ground assault vehicles, and it's mostly run by battle droids and a couple of Nimodians. Uh, And then the last one is you have the Billings. The Billings is the absolute smallest appearance ship that we've done here. The Billings is mentioned in a single episode of Star Trek Voyager. It was a ship that Janeway served on. They don't even say what kind of ship it was, but she served as uh, commander of it. So probably first officer, hard to say for sure. But she sends an away mission to survey a volcanic moon. The shuttle is damaged by a magma eruption and three of the Billings crew are severely injured. Feeling bad about this, the next day Janeway returns to the moon alone to complete the mission. Tuvok, who went from being her mentor to now working for her, was like, Janeway, what the fuck? Like, I get that you care that your people were injured and you wanted to, like, make sure that their injury wasn't in vain, so you finished the mission, but also, Janeway, what the fuck? That's it. That's that's the bill. That's what we know. I just had to choose it, because we're in Montana. Billings. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, and it's specifically named for the Montana city. Mm-hmm. Is uh, the Bozeman also named for the Montana city? I'm not sure on that front, but could be. Bozeman's a more common ship name, I think. The Bozeman got stuck in a time loop for 75 years until the Enterprise figured out they also got stuck in a time loop and got out, and it's commanded by Kelsey Grammer. Fuck oh, me, I think this is the, the one I meant to, meant to pick instead of the Bonaventure. Bonaventure was the Bozeman. <laughs> and they keep crashing and almost dying and crashing and almost I'm yep. crashing and dying oh, and then okay. it repeats and they escape and they're like I guess hail that ship and it's it's Fraser Crane in like classic movie era Starfleet being like hey what's up do you need help also what fucking ship is that why is your uniforms weird and they're like we should talk we should and that's how the episode ends because he's literally in the final scene that's it most of the time that you see the Bozeman it's appearing out of nowhere crashing into the Enterprise's D's nacelle spinning out and it explodes Mm. and then the day starts over again and it explodes it's actually a great episode of the kind of Groundhog Day themed Mm -hmm. classic sci-fi move which is let's have one person be aware that the day is repeating again and again and again in this case Data is the one that starts to figure it out, and he starts fucking with things to leave clues for later times. Okay. That's fun. This is a great episode. Shit. Well, before we can actually dock, we've got just a couple other things to do. Go fucking figure. Our radio's on the fritz again. What are the chances? Do I need a pen and paper again here? No, actually, this one's a lot lot simpler. I wasn't going to figure out a song <laughs> to go with each of these ships. Yeah, some you could do, but like a song for the Daedalus might be a little... <laughs> I guarantee some. Oh, I could have. I think the Daedalus would have been one of the easier ones. That's, yeah, that's the Invisible Hand. Actually, Bonaventure is going to be a hard. The Bonaventure is a hard one. There's unless you figure out what the fuck Bonaventure means in its root form. I don't know how to go about finding a song for this. Good trip. I have no idea. Assume something like Bon Voyage. So instead, uh, Star Trek debuted in 1966. Star Wars debuted in 1977. I've got a list of 10 songs. You tell me if it was a hit from 66 or six or 77. Okay. Let's go with... Uh... Oh, and here. First, uh, just to amp up the difficulty a little bit, because some of these might be super easy and some of them might not be, uh, I'm just going to give the song title at first. Then, if you ask, I'll give you the artist. 
then if you ask, I might be able to sing a little bit of it. Well, Depends no, on the song. Make it sing, but give a little bit. Sixty-six. I'm gonna go sixty-six. Give a little bit. Give a little bit of my love for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's Super uh, Tramp from '77. Uh, okay. God damn it! This might actually be harder because. 60s and 70s is just classic rock to me. I don't know if I've told the listeners this, but I'm very bad at dates, and I'm also very bad at knowing artist names and <laughs> song titles. See, I was counting on this. Never let my dad listen to this episode, the guy who worked in radio for fucking 48 years. Yeah, I'm I'm really just know, hoping to, to make you a, just a... A little bit of burst? A little bit, yeah. Last Train to Clarksville. Can you give me an artist on that? The The Monkees. 66. I'm going to go 77. 66. Their biggest time was when they were contemporaries of the Beatles, so... Take the last train to Clarksville and I'll meet you at the... St- I fucking love yeah, that song. That actually... My mom would be mad that I didn't get that The one. Monkees actually aren't terrible for a band that entirely really existed to mimic the Beatles originally. Oh, well, they did the fucking really good job of it. Yeah, and then after the Beatles ended, they're like, we can do our own thing now? They did some great songs. They did some interesting shit. And I loved that show, too. I used to watch The Monkees all the time. Some good shit. So fascinated by your Nick at Night obsession from when you were a child. Oh, man, I watched so much 60s, 70s TV. (laughs) Um, Let's see, how about Kicks? 77? I'll go with 77. 66, Paul Revere and the Raiders. Interestingly enough, I believe the lead singer of Paul Revere and the Raiders, they broke it big while he was working at a gas station in Idaho. Good for him. God. (laughs) Quitting that job really goddamn fast. (laughs) Easy. Because I'm easy. Easy like Sunday morning. 66. I'll go with 66. Commodores. 77, the Commodores. Oh, damn. I got it backwards. I, oh, I'm thinking of the Four Tops, which is I just a need song. to text my father and apologize. Yeah, I don't even have to explain why. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, why? Just trust me. Uh, I have brought shame. <laughs> I just want to be your everything. Who does it? Andy Gibb. Oh, I covered that last year. That's all I know. I just covered it last mm. year. I don't know who. <laughs> <laughs> 77. Sure, I'll say 77. 77. Hey! The one I know the least about of all the things we've covered. I just want to be your everything. That was amazing. Thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> How about Land of a Thousand Dances? I'm going to go with 77 again. 66, make it interesting. I got no 66, problem. Wilson Pickett. Did not know that's what that song was called. Okay. I just was. Okay. Little Red Riding Hood. 66. Does it. Sam the Sham and his Pharaohs. I'm going to go with 66 on that one. 66. Cool Jerk. That sounds horny enough to say 77. But it also sounds ambiguously horny enough that it could be 66, so I'm going to go 66. 66 by the Capitals. Cool jerk. Cool jerk. That's all oh, I remember yep. from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these songs that I'm like, oh, I know that song really well. I just have never thought about it before. Sway into the music. 66. 77. 77 by Johnny Rivers. Note to self, never do a music season of word balloons. Or just make Tyler do a music season. <laughs> 96 Tears. I know you said 96 tears. My brain is... 69 tears? No, no. Uh, For some reason, just auto started playing uh, 99 Problems. 
Mm. Oh, see, I would have gone with 99 red balloons before that. Don't know why. I'm going to guess 77. Sure, I've got no idea. 96 Tears was uh, from 1966 by Question Mark and the Mysterians. No clue. Mysterio had a fucking cover band? <laughs> Pretty much. I don't think I can sing any of that one. Listen to it. The organ line in that song is fucking incredible. Iconic. I guarantee you've heard the song before and just had no idea that that's what it's called. Because mm -hmm. I had no idea that that's what that song was <laughs> called. <laughs> 96 tears. I think so, but I would have to. Uh, and heard it in a love song. 66. Trick question. 88. <laughs> uh, I'm going to guess 77. Yep, Marshall Tucker Band, 77. All of mine were entirely guesses. I have absolutely no clue. Dear Father, you have, <laughs> I have failed you as a son. Eh, that was fun. I would cut my top knot off, but I haven't been able to grow anything up there in 10 years. <laughs> Another one that's just going to be all guesses, and I would have had to guess too. <laughs> there is a surprisingly small amount of Star Trek characters that actually have a listed date of birth. Most of them, you only know the year. Mm, yeah, fair enough. But based on that, and the fact that we talked about the USS Ares, we can figure out the star signs of some of them. Just gonna have you guess the star signs of some of these characters. Oh. Oh, so you picked the thing I know less than classic rock. Oh yeah, no, I know <laughs> nothing about this. I usually actively make fun of astrology. Well, we could uh, phone a friend and get Adi uh, on the line. They could they could draw up some star charts. <laughs> they they love doing that. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna very much disappoint them with my inability to remember anything about horoscopes or uh, astrologies. Adi from work. Oh, okay. uh, I do. I did find it funny because when I was doing research for this one, when you type in like Star Trek star signs and shit like that, you just get a bunch of like fan made like questionnaires and stuff. Like, take this quiz to find out, or like which character lines up with your star sign, but it's not actually lined up to those characters' actual star signs. Anyway, doesn't surprise me that the Star Trek uh, community and the astrology community doesn't have a huge <laughs> overlap. <laughs> Not to say that there isn't. But no, it's not surprising. Picard. Hmm. I'm going to guess cancer. Leo. I can't believe you fucking got that. He is a cancer. His birthday was uh, July 13th. Oh. He has the same birthday as my sister. <laughs> Less than a week after mine. And like 200 years later. Uh, Janeway. Pisces. Sagittarius. None of this actually means anything to yeah. me. I don't know what I'm guessing. She is a Taurus. Birthday I can actually kind of see that. May 20th. Spock. Sagittarius, because I still don't know what that one is. I want to see Sagittarius is like on the ass end. I could be wrong on that, but um, Capricorn. How the fuck are you doing this? He's a Capricorn. I guess. <laughs> he gets good. His birthday is January sixth. You have like a one in twelve chance, and you've nailed two of them. Anyway, I'm gonna go get a lottery ticket when we're done. I don't know. I'm lucky. Kirk. Aries. Sagittarius. I fucking hate you. <laughs> you got it again. Kirk is, in fact, an Aries. <laughs> March 22nd. Like Chaboy. Me. Let's go... Data. Watch as I'm still wrong with this. Not a Sagittarius. <laughs> Not a... <laughs> so, yes, you are correct. <laughs> Yay, I got one! <laughs> I'm gonna guess Leo? Aquarius. Oh, February second. Deanna Troy. Sagittarius. Gemini. Another Aries. Oh damn. Uh, March 29th. Jordiel Forge. Pisces. Sagittarius. <laughs> Aquarius. 
February 16th. I was going to be so mad if I finally picked something up and been Sagittarius and you got it. Beverly Crusher. Scorpio? Sagittarius. Libra. And, I forget uh, half of these are fucking things. I am. And uh, shares a birthday with my stepmom, October 13th. And that's all I got. There's so little characters that they actually give their birth date. They were born in 2264. Yeah, that's most of them. It's just like, this year. That year. They were born starting. Before this year. Which is super fucking weird when you think about it. Consider it like, not even like a start date. Like a, or like a, some sort of fictional. No, like legit date? just the year. Date, or Spock's they figure out from the star date. Because it's given a, a precise enough star date that you can figure it out. But every other one's is like legit given in like. No, it was this day. Oh, it's my birthday. <laughs> because if I remember, start date is like, I'm just going to pick random numbers here, so it won't mean anything, but like 2246.1.12, which I think would be January 12th, 2246, but I don't... Right, it's not, I don't know how it works. I think it's something like that, but I, I don't know if it's that straightforward. It's not. <laughs> I know it's not, because I thought it was for a while, and I tried to, and it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And then I just, uh, I didn't want to do too much of this because I don't want to ruin potential questions for future seasons, but I just had a lot of fun with the questions this season, so I thought of just a couple more to finish off the oh, episode with. I, the questions is really the main reason we do this show. Everything else is like, that's fun, but... So we started off the season by kind of mentioning our favorite Star Wars ships, because I did, didn't think I knew that many Star Trek ships. I realized I know a bit of Star Trek ships, especially after researching this season. So, favorite Star Trek ships. I'm a sucker for the Ambassador class, which is the um, class that the USS Enterprise-C, so the precursor to Picard's first Enterprise was. Uh, it is designed using one of the earlier prototype designs, like, out of universe for the Galaxy class, for the Enterprise-D. It exists a little... It's, it's like the halfway point between a Constitution, so like Kirk's Enterprise and Picard's Enterprise. Okay. It's sleek, but a little more compact and a little more utilitarian than like the galaxy classes i also really the defiant is fucking cool it's about four feet long and it's got about 15 guns in it like i think i bring it up on our lower deck season two episode of uh general nerdery but california class california class is a great fucking ship it's the the class the cerritos is oh yeah there that one's pretty bitchin I need it. I fucking love the Borg ships. The cubes. The cubes. They're super funny to me in a in a really interesting way. I get it. I like and that. It. Like it's very utilitarian. Of like we don't give a shit about being aerodynamic. We are the fucking Borg. We you don't have to be aerodynamic in space. The exactly the Romulan warbird from the next gen era. They're called like the Direx or something like that. But they're mm. the big green swoopy yeah. ones in the opening of Lower Decks. You see them fighting the Borg. Nice. Fucking love that ship. I think it's so, like, such a cool design. And then one that we brought up earlier when uh, we were talking about uh, the Bonaventure, uh, the Phoenix. The... I think it's called the Phoenix? The, 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 the one that retcons the Bonaventure with, that has its first... Uh, um, uh... The Phoenix first appears in First Contact, and it's literally just, like... A missile that they stuck a warp drive and a cockpit in. I remember this loving is... the fucking production design on that when I watched this movie, so it's in my brain for some reason. It's a cool ship, but it's definitely like it's not the coolest, but I I, I like it. Um, I'm also gonna drop it the, my list. the Daedalus, which is a 
part of where I got confused because Daedalus, mm-hmm. but it is only ever seen in like models. I don't think we ever actually see one active. But it's a Starfleet ship, and I think it's based off some of the earlier Enterprise prototypes. But instead of a saucer section, it's got a big fucking sphere they put on the front. Oh. So it mostly looks like a Starfleet ship, and then sphere. Okay. And it's just different enough that I think it's really interesting. In the final episode of Next Generation, All Good Things, which is just a fucking episode of Next Gen on, like, every level. In an alternate future, Beverly Crusher has become a captain and is captaining a ship that is they just stole the fucking Daedalus model and like we're like it's a medical ship what kind it's a medical ship okay uh, the medalist the medicalist the medicalist and just in case the the Star Trek or Star Wars didn't allow you to bring up a ship do you have any favorite either all time ships if your favorite isn't from either franchise or runners up that you didn't get to mention because they weren't from either franchise bio ship from Young Justice Mm. That's pretty cool. Um, it never came up, but I always really liked the Z95 Headhunter, which is like the precursor to the X-Wing. I don't know why I like it so much, because it's an X-Wing with just two wings instead of four, but it's cool. Yeah. Um, I will bring up Moya from Farscape. It's a weird fucking ship, but an alive ship with a... Not Parasite, the uh, good Parasite, Parasite that you work with. Uh, um, symbiote? Symbiote. <laughs> A symbiotic... Good, good parasite. <laughs> a, a symbiotic pilot that is, like, wired into the ship and cannot leave and is designed by the Ensign Company? Yes. All into it. Uh, I might I might have to go with the Heart of Gold from Hitchhiker's Guide. If only because of how fucking wild the infinite improbability drive is. Fair. Oh! Can't believe... The Bebop. Mm. The Bebop and the Swordfish. Both of the Just the entire design structure of Cowboy Bebop and how the ships work and the, like, ejectable pod cockpits and stuff. The whole thing is so... I mean, they would get wrecked against literally any other ship, but it's just cool. Also, ooh, also the lions from Voltron. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. I want a lion. I'd rather have a Gundam, but I get you. Um, I would want a Zord. Mm, I get that. Zoid or Zord? I can't remember. Zord. It should be Zord. Zoid? Wait, hold on. What are you saying for... Oh, like Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was thinking of Zoids, which is like Gundam, but they're all animals. Oh. That was also a... Zoids! Zoids! Well, shit, if we're going, me- if we're getting into mechs, then I'm going to go fucking Mega XLR, but that's a different thing. Ooh, baby. <laughs> that wouldn't be a ship, so I'm not going to... It doesn't make the list, but Which it would be Zord what do. Which Zord do you want? What, like the Dragon Zord? No, I definitely want the fucking blue lion that was the main one in all of the fucking series. I want the Mammoth. Ah, damn it, I was going to say the Mammoth too. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Mammoth. I don't give a shit about any other one. I want the blue one because it's blue and I like the blue one. Oh, I like the Mammoth a lot. I'd take the blue Zord as well. I'd probably take the blue uh, lion from... Uh... So you'll need the foot? I don't give a shit. I, I'm the blue one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the leg. <laughs> I'm going to kick some shit. All right. Pick a Star Trek ship to shunt over to the Star Wars universe and vice versa. And that's actually the last one I have, too. For vice versa, I'm going to say the Tantive 4 or 5. I don't remember which one it is. I think it's, it's 4. Yeah, yeah. It's Princess Leia's ship that gets grabbed by the Empire in the very first one in, uh, in the beginning of New Hope. It, for one thing, I think design-wise looks like it would fit in Star Trek a little better. Mm-hmm. And it is a relative size comparison. Like, it would be 
a little smaller than a lot of Starfleet ships, but not so small that it would like because we we've talked about it. Star yeah, Trek or Star a... Wars tends to exist on like both ends of the scale, and Star Trek is like in the middle. Mm-hmm. The way I want to approach this question is like, which ones do I think could easily fit in each other's universes the best? Yeah, that's, I was that's kind of what I was so thinking. I'm gonna go with Millennium Falcon. I feel like that could easily be just like. I, okay, I see it. I, I see feel like it, it could it's... fit in like as one of like a random ship that just like the Starfleet is like encountering that's just like traffic. I mean, it's kind of just like a flying saucer portion of a. That too. Significantly smaller, but, but yes. Yeah. Like, um, uh, like design wise, though, like mm-hmm. some sort of fucking freighter or whatever. Um, I can see that easily fitting in there. Um, and then I can kind of feel like I the Klingon warbirds would. They're definitely small, but like I feel like they're the, oh, like the Klingon bird of praise. Oh, yeah. I was gonna say bird of praise as bird well. Of praise. There it is. That's a ship I should have fucking mentioned. The the basic Klingon bird of prey, the the one that they steal in Star Trek Three after they kill the Christopher Lloyd Klingon mm. uh, Lord mm-hmm. Krooge, but they use it throughout most of Next Gen as like the main Klingon. Ooh, it's so cool. Yeah, I was gonna say bird of prey. I think bird of prey can fit in. Only very reason well. I didn't go with it is because. The cloaking technology is such a significant Ooh, part of... That's a good point. Like, design-wise, I'm 100% with you. The cloaking technology is fucking wild in the world of Star Wars. Like, they don't have any real kind of... Anything. They anything. do mention a cloak in Episode One, Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, we don't have one. And then just nowhere else ever mentions a cloak again. Uh, yeah, it's mostly like... A, the point of it doesn't make any sense in that universe to me. Mm-hmm. From the scale of their ships, like, visually... But, the, like, the ability to cloak yourself visually doesn't make as much sense as being able to cloak yourself, like, sensor-wise. They're never used much, but the Ferengi ships look like they would, like, transfer pretty well over mm. to Star Wars. And they're supposed to be okay, surprisingly okay ships for the Ferengi being the little bitches that they are. And then I guess I, I had two that I can't really decide between on Star Wars and Star Trek. I think the Imperial Shuttles... Would work very well. No lambdas would work fine. Yeah. And uh, Mon Calamari cruisers. Mon Cal would work. Ooh, also the the droid control ship from episode one, the Lacrooks or whatever they are. They're like the oh, ball with the like big yeah. C shape around them. They'd be fucking huge. Those things dwarf star destroyers, but also like the design fits. The design would fit in. They'd be like, "What the fuck is that? <laughs> and why is it dropping like eight thousand tiny little ships at us?" That's so many ships. Just turn up the... Whatever, man. <laughs> like, they're not hurting our shields, but there's a lot of them. Interestingly, Star Wars ships transfer over to Star Trek easier than Star Trek transfers over to Star Wars. Right, because like... Other than Klingons, which again, other than the warp drive, most of them you put them in there and they're like, yeah, okay. I think that's generally because a lot of them are based upon the convention of way more of a post-scarcity society and like from a general well and Star Wars ships are just much more militaristic in general yeah. as opposed mm-hmm. to like the Star I mean the Enterprise D the galaxy class is all swooping arches and designed to look like a piece of art it's supposed to like ship go fast make boom I mean the Mon Cal's would probably make something like that if they were ever not at war for something I mean they still do very swooping mm-hmm. bulbous but swooping bulbous yeah <laughs> yeah I feel like the when you see that in the Star at the Star Wars universe, it's it's only as a point of like ostentation, like showing I'm fucking rich, bitch. The place where Star Wars would transfer over easier, I think, is stuff like speeder bikes or like ground vehicles. Any kind of land speeder would generally work. It's interesting to think about. Oh, trust me, I spent 
much of my childhood <laughs> doing these kinds of crossover stories. I started putting Gundams in there too. I had a whole like, here's a space uh, uh, space station in the center of the multiverse, and these like other ships get tossed. In. It was cool, and I would have had to have so many rights issues to actually ever mm -hmm. do anything with it. I mean, it's not really a ship, but I still just I just wanted Basil Scourgeoid. And I just wanted to bring him up again this episode. Deep Space Nine would look good in Star uh, in the Star Wars universe. The mm. like space station, I think, would look in place. Yeah, yeah. I see that. That makes sense to me. Yeah, actually, that would also weirdly kind of fit in Battlestar pretty well too. Also, Deep Space Nine is just sort of designed to fit into a much more. Usually when we see Starfleet stuff, like, everyone in there is Federation. Or we're on a Klingon ship and everyone's Klingon. On Deep Space Nine, it's a trading hub. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, it's a, a port of call. So you see people from all sorts of different cultures. So it looks a little more like, you know, not Tatooine, but, like... Ish. the same kind of thing, mm -hmm. yeah. A lot of broader strokes. Well, that's it for today, folks. I was about to say we're taking off, but we're not. We're, no, like we're going to hang out for a little bit. Uh, we're going to soak in some of the sites, maybe go get the, the, air, the air balloon touched up some. Like, Have some Ractagino. Klingon coffee supposed to be super good. I'm going to try and steal a replicator. I just want to... <laughs> look, I just want to see what they can bolt on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to duct tape it on if I need to. Yeah, that's right. Where are we heading next time? Back to Earth for Slaughter Swamp. I'm all down. I think along the way we're going to have to talk about some nobodies. Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday. That makes no sense if you don't have it. Slaughter Swamp is the home of Solomon Grundy. We're doing B-list supervillains <laughs> from DC again. Solomon Grundy, want pants too. <laughs> Solomon Grundy, want pants to God. Cartoon Network, late 90s, early 2000s cartoon, or uh, commercials were so weirdly good. So good. Beautiful. That's what um, I can say for them, beautiful. I guess, but what? how do I end this? We're so far into this now. <laughs> Before we go, we'd like to hit, remind you to hit subscribe and check out all of our sister shows at earverm.com. That is E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Other ways to get in touch with and follow us will be in the show notes. And as always, we'd like to give a special thanks to our editor, Stephen Gady, and to Ian Ford for our theme song, Tracks. Until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Zach. Up, up, and up, up, and away. That doesn't fit. Down, down, and hanging out. I don't know. Landing sequence engaged? <laughs>